Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 185, Kano, recorded March 22nd, 2015, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach, and joining me, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the Command Line Godfather, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, everyone in TV land, and welcome back. And I'm sort of here this week. Uh, hopefully, I'll be back all the way next week. Yeah, Seth had a, a technical glitch. His microphone essentially gave up the ghost. So we're listening to him on the good old-fashioned laptop mic, which sounds yes. terrible. But, hey, we'd rather have him sounding bad than not here at all. There you yeah, go. remember you said that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the the topic tonight, uh, Kano Kano. Actually, uh, uh, we've already done the interview. I'm not, I'm not going to try to do any smoke and mirrors here. Um, we have uh, Alex uh, Klein from the Kano Kano Kuno uh, project, and we'll talk about how to pronounce that a little later on. Uh, he uh, he is in. Um, abroad overseas so we got the interview recorded and got uh, got that out of the way so he is currently sleeping as we record the beginning of the show so if i say something well, that hasn't happened I hope yet, he's sleeping you'll know why i'm not a mind reader or time traveler we just recorded this out of sequence but uh, the kano project uh is a cool little system in a box that is designed for kids and so we'll talk about that a little later on but first off seth has some potentially amazing news for us yes i might actually get high speed internet that breaks the one meg barrier um oh my goodness there is a, yeah there's a tower in fruitvale that's like less than five miles from my house and they're coming out wednesday to do a site survey and i can get two megs down for what i pay now and speeds available packages available up to eight megs down so um very I'm, cool I'm so looking forward to having internet at home I can actually use. I mean, like, today, <laughs> I checked. I wanted to just log into Credit Karma, you know, do that periodically. So it, it took me five minutes to log in to Credit Karma. Five Ooh, minutes. That's painful. I couldn't go on Facebook and go to the messages because I wanted to send someone a message through Facebook. The messages tab are, never would pull up. So... I had to wait till I got to the church where we're recording to launch Facebook, click on messages, and send that person a message. So you could conceivably I mean, get two hours of your week back because you won't have to travel to and from to do the show. Yes, I could. Um, I would probably do the four four down, I think, because that's like $10 more a month or so. Um, I just I can't afford to do the eight as much as I would love to. But Well, Seth, think about it. If you did devoted all that i pay you which isn't a lot uh to that and just earmark <laughs> that for internet um you could probably get a pretty decent package yeah i mean if i if i yeah i think um i'd have to look up the uh the pay i don't remember the prices um i'm gonna google that while we go on with the show and uh <laughs> yeah. i'll have to think about that just you know i don't i don't mind telling this what what i do uh, when we get sponsorship money um i divide that four ways and seth gets a quarter chris gets a quarter i get a quarter and the the show gets a quarter i put a quarter of it back into um 
uh, investing in equipment and that sort of stuff. Realistically, I generally take my whole half and put it back into equipment and stuff for the show. Uh, but that, so um, if you want Seth to have better internet, get more prov- uh, advertisers and he'll have more there money. There you go. And he could, you know, someday dig a fiber based entirely off of the money that, that you guys provide <laughs> through sponsorships. Um, you know what? While I'm on that subject, I'm just going to go ahead and right at the top of the show, talk about linuxacademy.com. So uh, we've talked before about Linux Academy many times. We've talked about Linux. This show, um, from the beginning, has had a very education-centered um, focus because of the three people who do the show. I spent 15 years of my life in uh, public ed, uh, Chris, what, a decade? Yep, 10 years. And Seth, about five for him uh, in that in that world. So between us, we have 30 years of, of experience in the education world. So education is important to us. So when, when we heard about Linux Academy, even before they were a sponsor, we wanted to, to hear about them, right? If you'll remember, uh, they were a guest on the show first. Yeah, uh, because we believe in in education and and the the Kano project that we're we're going to talk about here in a little bit is also education centric. So since this is an education show, I'm going to hit the education side of Linux Academy. It, it they are a new way to learn, and it's not really new. It's actually the old way to learn brought into the new world. So uh, the the modern educational um, classroom sadly looks almost exactly like the educational classroom. Of 200 years ago, the blackboards are now white, um, and the chalk is now black markers. But it's still largely a person at the front of the room dispensing knowledge to 30 people s- situated throughout the room. That model hasn't changed. Linux Academy and others like them are trying to change that model. You still have the the instructor at the front of the room. In this case, it's digital. It's in the form of their step-by-step videos that take you from, uh, that are designed to take you from being a Linux beginner to a Linux administrator. But they supplement that with, with what I think is, is sorely missing in most education today. And that is hands-on real world practice. It's not just theory that they're telling you. You get the opportunity to do real stuff with real, um, machines. So they give you this lab platform that runs up in Amazon's cloud system. And you get up to, you get eight different, uh, Linux distributions to choose from, uh, server distributions. Four of them can be running at any one time and interacting with each other in a safe and controlled way. So you can, you can build a server, you can build a client and you can have those two talk together. You could build two servers and have them talk together. If you want to, you can build a server and build an attack vector, uh, to see how well you've secured that service. And that's all safe because it's in your own little virtual private network. And you don't get that other places. Also, what you don't get other places is their, the real world interaction with the people who make the video. So other, there are lots of places on the internet now. They're popping up left and right where you get people who sit in front of cameras and talk about how to do stuff. Linux Academy is more than that. The, the, the instructors, the developers, the, the brains and bodies behind Linux Academy are there and they actively take part in the community. So there's a forum back there are a number of them there's different ways to communicate and you can of course email and and talk directly with the people and they talk back and they listen so it's not a broadcast method of education of course the lecture is there but it's not just lecture it's demonstration and with the demonstration if you're if you're not a visual person if watching something just doesn't do it for you and you need to read they offer the the uh, step-by-step uh 
uh, PDFs that go right along with it that are time-coded with the video. So as you're reading, if you say, I need to see that again, you'll know that it's at 6 minutes and 38 seconds in the video, and you can roll directly to that instead of scrubbing and guessing. And then when you're done, you can test where you where you are. See if you really got that. They have practice exams. They have tests. Uh, they have quizzes. They have full-on um, certification practice exams. So you, you if you're preparing for, say, the Linux uh, Professional um, Level 1 certification, you can take a practice exam that is so much like the real thing that everybody who's te- tested the pra- passed the practice exam has passed the real exam. So it's a really uh, integrated model of teaching, of, of of video, of text, of human interactions. Believe it or not, there are still people online that want to talk to you. And the real-world experience. All for, frankly, the ridiculously low price of $25 a month. And not only is that a low price, but that's the most you can pay. That's if you buy month to month. It's $25 a month. But if you want to buy, like anything else, the more you buy, the less you pay. If you want to buy three months at a time, Call that a quarterly subscription is sixty five dollars. So you're saving ten dollars off of buying three months individually. If you want to buy a year at a time, it's two hundred fifteen dollars annually, which is just under it's like seventeen dollars and eighty cents. So it's just under eighteen dollars a month. You will not get. I'm, I'm, I say this every month, but I, every week, but I believe it. You will not get that level of education for seventeen dollars and change anywhere else on the internet. You're not going to get everything that Linux Academy has to offer. And uh, and also, if you go to linuxacademy.com slash everydaylinux, you get a special rate off of that. So there's a special uh, price for listeners of this show. Linuxacademy.com. Check them out. Let them know that we sent you. Okay. Um, this is that's the first time we've ever done the ad before the warm-up. Well, we did it's one creepy sort of warm-up thing. But uh, it just it seemed <laughs> to fit nicely. That's part of my job as the host is to make things fit nicely. Um, I did want to say that I, uh, what we're talking about, the Kano Project, Kano Project, uh, is Raspberry Pi centric. Uh, I mentioned a while back that I bought a new Raspberry Pi 2 and have been using that as my media center. And I, I told you last week, I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, that I was having some issues and, uh, things weren't quite working as they should. I also commented on the fact that it was, you know, it's an alpha state software. So I told you I had the weird problem with the, the hard drive added an underscore to its own name well today right. i the, i got an update from um osmc and everything uh, the, that underscore went away which is oh. you know kind of cool but it also meant i had to rediscover my entire library because everything was now looking in the wrong place <laughs> um, again uh but i also spent the afternoon the my girls my wife and my three daughters all went out shopping because apparently that's a thing that girls do, uh, and and they were gone for a couple of hours. Breaking news: girl shop. <laughs> so I had a couple of hours to myself to play with my toys, and that doesn't happen very often in my life. So I went through line by line in the config file and was just manually tweaking everything and 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 playing with stuff. And I now am uh, happy to say that I have 1080p playback working at 25 frames per second with no errors full uh, uh no jitter everything is perfect on my raspberry pi 2 so for a 35 wow. device um and a couple of hours of my time tweaking it uh which i consider fun anyway i i now have a full-on media center um that is working flawlessly as well as any um uh, i've ever used so very that cool. is my resounding endorsement of the raspberry pi 2 that's very cool Sweet. i'm glad to hear the pi 2 worked out so well 
So does that mean now that you have your media center system figured out and picked out, you're going to move on to the um, everyday Linux Boris Box project? I probably will. <laughs> I've been I've been doing some research on that, and one of the things that a couple of people have pointed out is that on the on all the pies, the Raspberry Pis, uh, anyway, uh, the both the new and the old, they share a single USB bus with the Wi-Fi adapter or the, the, uh, so if I use Wi-Fi, um, I'm, and an external, as an external NIC, I'm sharing that with any data that I'm pulling. So the, the concern is that it might, and, and some there's, I've read both things. I'm not sure which is true that the, the ethernet also shares that USB bus. So it's what essentially the ethernet card is a, is a, an Ethernet to USB adapter built into the device. So if that's true, and I plug up a second USB um, NIC, and I have two USB NICs, and I'm pulling uh, any level, any manner of data, um, which you may not in a in a NAS, it all it might all be on the SD card, which I think is also connected by the USB. The problem is, uh, it, it may max out at like 25 megabits. 25 megabits is still pretty darn good for uh, an edge router, right? Uh, you wouldn't want to be using it to transfer files between devices in your home, but on the on the green side of an of a firewall, that doesn't happen anyway. They co- they connect, they ask for each other's information, and that's it. They c- talk to each other directly. So I think I still may be able to get through, get over it. Uh, but for you people out there with like Verizon FiOS that have a hundred megabit connection, you may find that the Pi based Boris box isn't good enough for you. Um, so right now all my research has just been reading and, and looking at what other people have done. I haven't started playing with it myself, but that's, that's where I am. It's still going to be a cool project when you get it going. Who knows? Maybe there will be a Pi 3 that fixes all that issue by the time you're ready to start building it. Well, according to our good friend, the door to door geek, the banana Pi doesn't have that problem. They're separate buses. Oh, okay. Uh, it's also a more expensive device. It's almost twice as much. Um, so that that causes, uh, you know, a whole... I, my idea is to make this something that is inexpensive and we can also make money on. So I've got to keep the price down if I want to have any profit uh, because our audience is a bunch of cheapskates and they don't pay for anything, myself included. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just like the host in that regard. Yes. <laughs> And all of us hosts, because I am, I'm super cheap, and I admit that. But, you know, I, I mean... I must be the most liberal always, with my money, then. <laughs> yes. We could always have multiple, you know, we could have the, um, we could have the cheapskate approved, and then the, uh, you know, one is cheapskate approved, and then one is heavy use approved, maybe. Right. So... There you go. They get both of them, so... And, and I've also uh, had a couple of requests uh, via email for a NAS-based Boris box, right? So it's not a not a firewall, but a uh, a NAS based on the Pi. Um, again, you run into the same sort of troubles using the buses. Yep. Uh, but if you you know if you work it right, you could probably get decent throughput. Again, it, it wouldn't be something you'd want to stream your uh, HD content over. But then again, maybe not. I do that with my Pies now. I have one upstairs and one downstairs, and I stream the content across them and it works so um it's just not something you're going to be able to do heavy writing and reading from but if i i like the idea of building um a small raid or even a jbod uh where you just plug in three or four drives into a pi stick it on your network and boom instant nas um 
That'd be kind of cool. So, you know, a couple of things that I'm working on. Uh, of course, I've got to buy the gear and play with it, and 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 I I don't want to give you, I don't want to sell you anything that's not solid. Uh, and, but the the project is still in the works. That's all I have to say. Sure. Clearly, that's, that's cool. not all I have to say. I spent six minutes talking about it, but. <laughs> It's like That's that commercial. Right. I'm speechless. Right. I can't say a word. Literally, I can't open my mouth and nothing comes out. So, Chris, we're all talking high-tech stuff, and you have a fountain pen? We're going back to the Stone Age here? <laughs> yeah, actually a little bit. Um, so most of you probably don't know, and I bet you almost nobody knows unless they've really done some deep digging, but uh, I used to write calligraphy and really fancy script-type stuff. And so I figured it's been a couple of years since I broke out the pens and I wanted to start writing some stuff for uh, a couple of family members. I figured I'd write up, you know, the family crest and stuff. It'd be, I thought it'd be kind of fun. But I find out that all my pens are either broken or dried up to the point where I can't use them. So I went out and started buying some more fancy calligraphy and fountain pens. Um, I didn't realize how big the market was though. Uh, I was kind of blown away when I loaded up Amazon and went, Oh, I have, 75 pages of fountain pens to look through. <laughs> so, yes. So, uh, this is in, as in, you have to dip it in an inkwell kind of fountain pen? Um, I'll, I'll get back to that eventually. Um, when I, usually what I do is I'll start with the, uh, the inkwell type, you know, the built in inkwells. I'll start with those pens until I get my, you know, my, my stroke down. And then I'll go to the, the actual dipping of the ink. Um, it, I really found it relaxing and one of those things where I, it was just fun to do, uh, it with my current, my new job, my, I, I don't have as much free time to tinker with as much tech as I would like to have, but breaking out a fountain pen and just writing a few things, you know, a line of a poem in a fountain pen for five seconds. It's amazingly how, it's amazing how releasing that can be. And I, I want to get that back. See that I, I'm, that's. Impressive to me that you can do that because the only thing I can draw are epileptic stick figures. So uh, <laughs> it's just I I am closer to being autistic than I am artistic. I can yeah, draw a just dot one of those reasonably things. well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where I, I found it it's it's borderline infuriating and and extremely satisfying when it all comes together. So uh, I've I've uh, there's been a couple of times where I've spent you know a good week. With the, the ink dipping pins, you know, doing a big long thing. And at the very end, I smudge it or, or hit it or spill the inkwell on top of it or some matter of catastrophic failure and then have to start all over again. And most of the time it's scrapped and I have to just shake my head and walk away for a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's fun. Yeah. That sounds very relaxing. Mess up at the end. <laughs> The end part wasn't very fun, but everything leading up to it was. Yeah, so there's relaxation and there's diversion. And sometimes diversions are the most stressful thing. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen guys go out to play a round of golf to relax and spend half of their time be- beating their clubs on the ground and yelling in frustration. And I, yep. I wonder how relaxing that is. Cathartic, maybe. Relaxing, I don't know. <laughs> but I thought it'd be fun. It'll be interesting when I start getting into the the big fancy stuff. I'll maybe I'll put some pictures up so everyone can see. So this was the first day of spring. Uh, March twenty yep. first was the first full day. Um, March twenty second, uh, no twenty first, yeah, yesterday, first full day of of spring. I I went out and did spring stuff. 
cut down trees and pruned limbs back and reminded myself of why I went to college because I don't <laughs> want to do that for a living. Also reminded myself that I'm a 40-something fat guy. Um, I spent not, not long, maybe three hours out yesterday and I am, I'm going to spend the next three days hurting because of the three hours I spent outside. So if I ever wondered why I chose not to uh, uh, pursue a life of manual labor, uh, I reminded myself yesterday. I also pulled all the cars out um, and had the kids wash them. And I said, I'll pay you $5, three kids, $5 each per car, three cars. Um, and I will pay, you know, that's a total of $15 for washing, detailing, uh, windexing, doing the whole bit, each car. Um, they complained well, mightily back over and fix it. <laughs> yeah. They complained mightily. They did a, a piss poor job of it and they still demanded the money. So they're, you know, they're becoming true Americans. That's right. See, my son, when you know, he gets to that point, yeah, I actually were, hand him back the equipment and go here. You missed a spot. Oh yeah. They Try told me again. they were done four times. And each time oh, I yes. said, no, you're not done. Uh, no, you're still not done. But as the sun started going down, I decided it was time to to give them a bit of a break. Yeah, if they were true Americans, they would have paid somebody else three dollars a car to watch them and pocketed the difference. That that would be a true American for you. So there's a guy where I work. It's it's common in office buildings where you've got a hundred cars or more parked every day. Some guy will set up a car wash down in the parking garage, and he'll do a car for twenty, and he provides his own buckets and his own water and his own soap and his own shop vac so i thought 15 is pretty reasonable um i suspect he would have done a much better job though probably <laughs> but the money stays in your house though it doesn't leave yeah so. they went out today that's when they went shopping that's why they had to go shopping because they each had 15 dollars, and they came See? back with pennies left i i don't <laughs> they they spent everything they had just because at, at some point when you get down to only 37 cents there's just nothing in the store you can buy anymore um yep. But they, they, when they have money, they spend all of it. Sounds like a typical American, and right. that we're all that way. No, a typical American has money and spends more than that. So well, if yeah, you they give spend, them fifteen dollars, they spend thirty-five. Yep. Yeah. The the credit is start starts to come out at the end. Okay, so let's jump into some news of the week. Uh, again, we've got a, an interview coming up, uh, so we'll keep this relatively short. Uh, <laughs> I love what Seth puts here because it's something that I say all the time. If you can't trust anonymous strangers on the internet, who can you trust? Yes, there was a, um, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the news media, and we've talked about it before on the show a lot, what is considered the dark web, you know, people who... There's marketplaces set up in Tor Network that utilize Bitcoins for anonymity. Um, and there was one called Evolution that um, kind of a black market where people buy and sell things of sort of semi-questionable and very questionable uh, as if they're legal or not. And apparently um, they ran, the owners did what was called an exit scam. They said, oh, you know, technical difficulties, we can't post, um, we can't credit that payment to your account. And then all of a sudden, boom, they were gone. So, um, you know, all of the money that people supposedly were due, um, the whoever was actually running the market kind of just took it and abscond. I, I'm it. shocked. So, so people engaged in illegal activities are dishonest? I'm shocked. I'm stunned. I'm amazed. 
I mean, it's on the internet, full of the nicest, most harmonious people you <laughs> ever meet in your life. It's true. Go to any site. Nothing but, you know, there's nothing but kittens uh, and fluff everywhere. But, yes, so um, roughly um, they believe they got about 10 to $12 million maybe out of it. So that's uh, kind of amazing. You know, maybe I need to uh, get a tour in, uh, entry and exit node and then set up some type of shop and see if I can't, uh, you know, harvest a few bitcoins that way. Because I'd probably get more doing that than setting up a Bitcoin mine. So, you know, maybe this was just a big Bitcoin mining scam. Uh, there you go. <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty just- amazing, uh, you know, in a couple of things there that, that you would spend all that time building this community uh, only to take everybody's money, which, you know, they must not have been making enough money. Uh, and secondly, that people were surprised by this. Uh, right. And of course, who do you, who are you going to go to? You're going to go to the FBI and say, uh, the kitty porn money I was due didn't come to me. Um, so they're, you know, they're, th- even if somebody wants to go after them through regular channels, they can't. So they're going to have to call, yeah. in, you know, uh, Boris the enforcer to handle it. <laughs> right. And his friend Morris. <laughs> Boris and Morris. Yep. And Natasha. Don't forget about yes. her. There you go. Moose and Squitter. Um, <laughs> So we talked uh, a while back about a kid who uh, decided he wanted to see if he could hack into a car. Uh, he was 15 years old. Not to be outdone, here's a nine-year-old hacking into something we all own. Yes. Um, this uh, kid, his name is Paul, and he goes to the Harmony School of Science. He's a third grader, a Reuben Paul. Paul is his last name. Um, he is apparently a cybersecurity expert, and if you can hack an Android smartphone in a couple of minutes... I mean, hey, I can't do it. So um, he's like, if a child can do it, then a regular hacker can do it. This is a quote from the article. So I just want everyone to be aware and to be more careful when you download games and stuff like that. That's a quote from Ruben Paul. He was like, you know, just don't do stupid stuff. with your. Don't ROM your phone and then go to every non-vendor-specific site and download all this crap. And next thing you know, your phone is pwned. So... You know, that's pretty much standard talking there. But. Well, you're, yeah, but he's going off the idea that people have no common... Oh, wait, everyone has no common sense anymore. So it, it, It's uh, okay. uncommon sense. If it were common, more people would have it. So that's essentially, my- he cre- if I'm reading, uh, there's not a lot of information in this article, but it looks like he created a Trojan app um, yep. and used it. You know, if you download bad stuff, here's what could happen. No news there, but the fact that there's a nine-year-old out there doing it um, is a little more, um, I don't but know. But here, here's the cool thing. He is the CEO of Prudent Games, a company which attempts to teach people about threats through educational apps. Uh, games include Cracker Proof, which teaches good password practice, and Crack Me If You Can, which teaches about brute, brute force acts. I mean, this is a nine-year-old developing apps and running the company. And I'm a 42 year old failure. So, <laughs> you know that's uh, that that's the uh, the good and the bad, I guess. So I mean, it's amazing, you know. And this ties in a lot, really, with the with the Cano uh, culture that Alex is going to be talking about later on. It's you know, kids out there they don't want to just look at videos. The only reason they do that is because that's all that's presented to them. 
They want to learn and they want to do things with their computers, not just swipe left and swipe right and press this one round button in the middle of it. So, you know, kids are, you know, granted, sometimes they don't have a fully developed frontal lobe. But then again, a lot of us adults don't either. So you can't really fault them for that. But they have a lot to contribute. And a lot of times young people don't have the baggage of accepting that things can't be done or accepting that it has to be done that way because it's always been done that way. So, other, you know, yes, thing, thing, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I was going to say the other thing that kids have that most adults don't is free time. Kids have an immense amount of free time. So you can choose the, you know, this is a, a, a proof of concept of if you choose the right form of free time for your kids, maybe they'll be CEOs at nine. Right. So, Seth, you called yourself a 40-year-old failure. Let's talk about another failure that's not quite as old, 30 years old. Internet Explorer needs to move out of his grandmother's basement, finally. <laughs> yes. I think um, it's time to you, shoot in the head. Well, I just I can't believe we haven't talked about this story before, but Microsoft is killing off Internet Explorer. You know, in, um, so it's not that they aren't going to access content over the Internet anymore, but they are going to be... You know, Internet Explorer got a bad rap. One, I mean, if you were going to be honest, there's lots of, in the early days, IE brought a lot of things to the table, and they did do a lot of good first, but then they kind of just said, ah, who cares, and really just phoned it in for, I don't know, 10 or 20 years. Um, but they aren't, they've realized, you know, Internet Explorer is such a damaged brand, there's no fixing it. So they're kind of scrapped IE and are doing a fresh new browser rather than kind of continually patching an old leaky ship. They're going to build a brand new ship and then, you know, ride out on it. So Which IE I is think dying. This is a branding change. I suspect the code base isn't going to be changing very much. Um, from in, from in, what I've read about it, though, Mark, it is a, it's not just a code. It's, it's a rewrite. It's a new base. Well, good. The, it, um, but it, it, it's still using the same rendering engine, but the base is different. Well, I would wager that there's that the rendering engine is most of the base, so they're just wrapping around it. But the the the, the reason is Windows ninety five came out, um, and they introduced the Explorer concept. You remember mm -hmm. they they had to come up with new ways of describing things. So zipped files were cab files cabinet files um yep and you had folders inside the cabinet and you had files inside the folder so they really were going for the skeuomorphic uh, uh analogy uh, of of how you would interact with your desktop it was a it was like the you know your the the executive's desktop so they had these things how you uh th there was a briefcase that that was briefly a case um yep. and there was you know they, they were just trying to do this office based thing and there was the file explorer but prior to that it was program manager and they decided that was too uh geek centric they wanted to make it something more people could understand so it was the it was the uh the file explorer so you explore your files using the explorer and they still call it the explorer to this day and to differentiate between the file explorer and when you go out on the web there was internet explorer so you'd spy uh, uh explore locally or explore over the internet over time the explorer engine merged and so you had ie um, bit code base that was good for the internet and look, and that brought cool things like web channels 
that mm-hmm. are actually now a thing, but you know, in, in 98, they tried to make it a thing. Um, and they had, they had all that cool stuff, but that was also part of the reason that they got sued was because they took this web engine and made it so integral to the, to the OS that it couldn't really be removed. So now we're moving to a new, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not using files anymore. They're, they're straying away from those words even. Uh, so it makes sense that they're just changing the analogy, but if, if they're still using the same rendering engine, um, and it's still tightly integrated with the OS, which I'm pretty sure it will be. I don't know that this is that this is just a new layer of lipstick on the same old pig. Yeah, you know, I I don't know because in Windows 10 is when it is going to be uh, released, uh, and there will still be Internet Explorer for like legacy things, but then they'll also be Spartan. So I don't know. I mean, obviously. They're doing the same thing, so you would expect some of the code to be the same. You are accessing files, be they uh, locally or remotely, um, using established protocols. So, so even if they totally rewrite the code, there's still going to be swaths of it that are similar, if not the same. So I don't know how close it's going to be to the same. But, you know, a lot of times, I mean, we've done it. I mean, I remember you shared the story of your school where you took old computers and put them in shiny new cases yep. and people all of a sudden they were the fastest computers they'd ever seen when in reality they could barely run the OS you installed. So if it's a shiny new, you know, if it's a shiny new thing and it's not a blue E with this circle halfway around it, you know, if they change into like a red cloth thing, all of a sudden they have the hottest new browser around and, you know, Project and, Spartan becomes Red Claw death. Right. Well, and they're they're naming things after the one beloved property Microsoft has for anybody under fifty, and that's the Xbox uh, game of mm-hmm. of. Uh, gosh, my Halo. mind just went blank. Halo. 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 Thank you. Halo. Um, and so you know that's owned by Microsoft. The the Cortana is their version of series. Now it's Spartan uh, is the thing. So I, I expect you're going to start to see them playing on that because the gamers are the people who are now in business, right? Your CEOs yep. of next year were the the first generation Xbox owners a few years ago. Um, and as they make that shift, Microsoft is appealing not to the stuffy business executive, but to the closet weekend gamer who still loves uh, John Spartan and, and you know, had inappropriate fantasies about Cortana and they're trying to move them into the more business and everyday world. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a good play. Um, a lot of the guys that are going to be the technologists like us aren't going to fall for it, but we're going to use Spartan long enough to either go get Chrome or Firefox and move on. So, you know, I, I can understand the play. I, I actually commend them for the rewrite. Um, the new browser from the little, clips that i've been seeing here and there it does look pretty um but it looks just like chrome and firefox so yeah i mean that's the thing you know yay they're finally going to look like every other browser out there but them (laughs) so you know we've achieved we've achieved uh parody oneness the great global internet consciousness can now Break forth because Microsoft has joined the IE cl- or the Internet Clone Collective. So um, pretty much, yay world, peace yeah. and harmony is around the corner. And when Firefox first came out, it was referred to as a clone of Internet Explorer. So yep. the the tables have turned. 
another way that Microsoft is trying to turn the tables is by putting Windows 10 on an existing Android device. No, not rooting it, but actually running Windows 10 in Android. Interesting. Uh, well, no, actually, it replaces the ROM, and you will your Android phone will become a Windows 10. So you're upgrading. So instead of you know KitKat to Lollipop to whatever the next candy is going to be, uh, it'll be to Windows 10. So and they partnered with one company in China to do that and to see how it goes. Um, but I just thought it was kind of interesting that you know hey you know because you know in in the uh, in the open source world what has the cry always been? This is the year of the Linux desktop. We're going to install Linux on the same hardware that can run Windows. Well, now Windows is like thinking, hey, let's and see if we can't, you know, do that to the same hardware that comes with Android. Right. So, so you're using, you're not running the Android um, file manager and all that sort of stuff, but you're still using the 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 recovery and the bootloader of Android to wedge Windows 10 in there. So. Uh, that's that's interesting technology, right? It gives it lets somebody who bought a cheap Android device turn it into a cheap Windows 10 device, and that's what Microsoft. That's the market they've been going after: the cheap devices for the developing world. Sure, uh, right. they they haven't been trying to hit Americans very hard. Um, they've been trying to hit the developing world because Americans are pretty much divided themselves into a couple of camps, and it would take something pretty major to to break an Android person out of Android and an Apple person out of Android uh, out of Apple. But in the developing world, India, China, um, those two, you know, uh, Russia, there's still billions of people between those land masses there that haven't haven't developed an allegiance yet. And so that's what they've been going for. And so now you can take a, a manufacturer who only knows how to make Android devices and not have them change any processes and now stick windows on the devices they already make it makes them twice as as uh, versatile because now they can sell the same phone to two different customers i think it's a brilliant move if it works if it works yeah um i just could you imagine if someone kind of reverse engineered that a little bit so it instead of being a you approved the upgrade to windows 10 on your phone it was a malicious install of windows 10 <laughs> <laughs> that would be malicious. If you wouldn't put Windows 10 on my phone, it would be a malicious act. <laughs> yeah. But it would be fun, wouldn't it? Yes, fun was the word I was thinking of. So. <laughs> the, the one I was thinking of started with an F, but it wasn't fun. Uh, um, and, you know, what, as I was saying earlier, we've got people in both camps. Apple wants more. And now it's going to start letting you trade in your Android phone for an Apple phone. Yes, this is a program that Apple has announced. Um, you know, they've always had the, you can trade in your old iPhone for the brand newest iPhone because all there ever is is one iPhone at a time. Well, now, you know, they've got so much money, they're like thinking, hey, I know, why don't we get people to trade in their Android phones and to get iPhones? So I look at it as a way for them to really bolster market share, um, you know, um, and it's just a way for do that. And what they do is they partner with another company who takes those devices and then sells them for a profit overseas. So, you know, you know, you have a mid tier or even a good Android phone. Let's say the market value is a hundred dollars. Well, they give you a $10 credit. And what do you know? Because, you know, and then so then they take that and they sell it for a hundred and they make money off of you 
by selling you a phone and then by taking your phone that they took for peanuts and reselling that. So it's a win-win for them if people do it. So, and, But yep. the thing is, I don't know a lot of people who want who are Android users who want an iPhone. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe there is a market out there, but I'm in my anecdotal experience, I don't know any of them. Yeah, I well, don't either. But, that's a pretty that's a pretty small, you know, a small chunk cuz there's even some carriers where I've seen them uh, actually offer, you know, bring in any phone and we'll give you credit for a new phone. So, I think it's just a more along that line. This is just a direct to market or direct um OEM to market play instead of going through a carrier. But, you know, in the Apple fanboy-loving media-biased culture, everybody who has an Android, the only reason they bought one is because Apple was sold out. And if Apple had not been sold out, or if, it, if they weren't just holding on, till then they couldn't wait until the new phone came out in six months. So they had to be stuck with this kludgy piece of crap called Android. Now they can be saved. Glory, hallelujah. They get the new iPhone, and this is just a way because Apple loves them so much. They, you know, admit you're a sinner, repent, and buy an iPhone. <laughs> well, I think you're only you know, obviously you're joking there, but I think you're onto something. I I think in the minds of Apple, the reason people bought Android phones was because Apple didn't make a six inch phone, and now that there is a six inch phone, there's no reason not to have an Apple. So this just gives people the opportunity to have the phone they wanted all along. Right. If you, you know, agree with that. Well, if you're Apple, of course you agree with that. Yeah, you think everybody yeah. wants an iPhone. Um, and every and the Samsung and HTC devices are just knockoffs. They've been trying to make that case in court that they're all just knockoffs of iPhones. And what the world really wants is an iPhone. And it took Steve Jobs dying to get an iPhone bigger than 4.3 inches because uh, he always said he would never sell a large device. Um, well, he didn't. He died. His company did. So now they're trying to compete on the same uh, land uh, that that Samsung and the Android devi- uh, developers have been. Uh, device manufacturers. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, they're making big phones with hopped up processors and super good um, cameras and that sort of stuff. And, you know, the the Android people like myself have always, you know, been saying if you want the latest technology and the best phone that you can get today that's that's only an iphone every three or four years um th- for the other for the rest of the 75 percent of the time it's an android phone right and so i th- i think they're trying to scale now i think uh, my guess is you're going to start seeing a- apple phones released more often um and with better tech uh i mean they've had a they've had a phone every year but it's generally just been a renaming of their old phone uh, so right. I think they're going to try to catch up, and of course they're in they're in the phablet market now. They're in the giant phone market. So I, I, that's what I think this this is hubris. This is uh, corporate hubris to say that everybody who has an Android Android phone really wanted an iPhone to begin with and couldn't get one. Now we're going to take some of the pricing out of that by by, by giving you a trade in. So now price isn't a barrier, and you can still have the phone you actually wanted. Sure. Yeah, I just don't agree with it personally, but that's just me. I'm. I I will never own an iPhone that I purch that I personally purchased. Um, now, if you're forced into it by a job, then that's a different story. But um, yeah, I if my Seth, your phone, your company gave you an iPhone. You don't yes. carry an Android phone too, do you? No, I uh, 
and actually, and I've even I've misplaced my phone. I don't, you know, I could have received a job offer for a million dollars a year last week, and I wouldn't know it because I don't know where my other phone is. So, uh, and it's just a cheap uh, prepaid option that has some. Uh, it was I think called a feature phone. Right. It has a web browser, but you really wouldn't want to do anything on it. Um, it has an alarm clock. Hey, calendar. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I, you know, but honestly, for me, my, my smartphone, and I just don't see it being any different with an Android, is just something to do to kill time while I'm using the bathroom. You know, I, I was thinking about that the other day as I was, I was, I remember where I was. I was in some public place and everybody had their phone out. And it, and it occurred to me that what the, I, the smartphone revolution, uh, the handheld device revolution, what it's really done is eliminated the concept of idle time. There's no yeah. such thing as idle time anymore. Right. Pretty much because you will be t- tracked down one way or another. You know, like well, even, today. If, even if not, even if it's not somebody impressing upon you, you w- when I'm sitting in traffic, right, and there's an accident in front of me, and I know I'm not going to go somewhere for a while, I pull out my phone and start reading websites and news stories. Um, you know, when I'm at a restaurant and it's taking a while for the food to get to me, uh, assuming I'm not with somebody or if I am with somebody and they're boring, I grab my phone. There, there is no idle time. And yes, it's the, the digital leash where people can reach out to you, but also it's, it's no longer are you left alone with your own thoughts. That just doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, the, the fine art of people watching, because you literally had nothing better to do but sit and watch other people has gone away and people don't watch anybody anymore and we're becoming uh, as a society less aware of what goes on around us because we don't have to be we can always be entertained we can always have something artificial shoved into our cerebellum anytime day or night yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with the long-term effects of having no idle time do you ever wonder about that because i know personally if i don't de-plug my or unplug myself every once in a while and do a detox of tech i kind of go a little I, i'm a little cranky personally so i I don't know do you what do you guys think are you is that do you think that's gonna be a problem with all the the direct input of of information constantly into our heads every new thing has always been thought of as a problem it's not a problem we'll just we'll reprogram ourselves as a society it's what we do um you know i've i've been reading i've been on a, a civil war kick recently reading a lot of civil war history books um and in that time talking about battles right the the way you got information the fastest way possible took several hours. Um, if you were going to mail a letter home, you would, ex- you would expect six to eight weeks to get a letter back. Um, and you know, now if, if I text somebody and I don't get a response in a couple of minutes, I wonder what's wrong. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not, is, is that bad? I don't think it is. We've just redefined our society. We've reprogrammed ourselves as what's acceptable. And we no longer write long-form 10-page letters because we don't have to. If you're, if you're going to s- send somebody correspondence every three weeks, you've got to fill, fill them in on everything that happened, right? So I, I'm writing to my, yeah. my lover, and I want to fill her in on every day, every moment of my life. That's going to be a six, eight, ten-page letter because it's every few weeks that I'm doing it. And then right. it's weeks back. Now I can send short snippets, um, just saw a guy butt crack showing in line at mcdonald's lol uh and i can share those moments uh with my significant other uh as the day goes on um is it good is it bad i i don't think it's either it's just the way we are now yeah i, I mean, just wonder, i think you know the problem is people are outsourcing 
virtues to their smartphone. You know, Ooh. I think there's something to be, you know, for example, why take the time to learn to do anything because you can Google and watch a YouTube video and become an instant expert? Why take the time to learn patience? I don't have to sit and wait because I have this phone to entertain me. I don't have to develop any personal discipline because I have my electronic Ritalin in front of me, you know, to just... If I didn't have AD&D five years ago, or ADD, I have it now because I've taught myself to have no attention span, to not persevere for anything that's important. Just do something. Oh, it's hard. Oh, I'm stuck. Forget that. I'm going to go do this. Right. We Rather have created than, a culture with a zero tolerance for boredom. That's true. Right. Well, and, well, and but, I think, you know, there's also no longer any the the guy of, you know, go talk to Joe because Joe knows everything about that. There are no, you know, wise old men on the corner anymore because you have, you know, the power of the internet at your fingertips and you could be the wise old man in five seconds. But being quiet and introspection is not the same thing as being bored. But in today's society, it is. We've lost that distinction. Yeah, that's that's you know I one of my favorite quotes I can't remember who said it was uh, sometimes we fear uh, being alone because we know we won't be in good company, um, and like and you one. know that's that's that is a thing right where right. you realize that when you're the only person around you realize you're not a very good person, um, and so maybe that's part of the reason we're always looking for. Uh, input from other places that you know introverts there's the introvert extrovert thing an introvert meets somebody and it takes energy it it energy goes out of them to interact with somebody and they have to go be alone to recharge an extrovert which is me i draw energy from people when i am alone i lose that energy i have no external source of energy i can't generate it within myself i need to go be around people um those two personality types have been around for centuries but now as an extrovert I don't have, I can draw energy from people I've never met. Chris, I've never shared the same air that you've breathed, but you and I talk every week and we're friends and, and mm -hmm. you're somebody I can draw energy from, even though I've never met you. Um, I, that's a good thing. But at the mm -hmm. same time, uh, it, it also makes us somewhat crippled in learning to cope with being alone. Those of us who, who aren't good at being alone never have to really learn to be alone. So it's, right. it's a yin and a yang. But again, I don't, I don't uh, uh, look at it as a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. Yeah. See, going off the idea of introvert and extrovert, you know, that's a really good a point of view because, you know, you just said that you're an extrovert and that you draw from people being around you where I'm not. I'm actually a very, very bad introvert. Um, but I mask it well because I don't, I don't have a problem being around people, but I need that. 40 minutes of nobody around me mm -hmm. just to, to, to detox and, and let go of the, the day to day stresses because I'm also someone else's confidant or whatever. And all that, that negative energy, I, it, it sucks into me and I, I just need that 40 minutes or longer to just let it all out because I don't want it. Any thoughts, Seth? No, I mean, I just, uh, I'm, finding I'm more of an introverted person. And so, you know, one good way of being an introvert is 
dealing with people through a medium that they aren't right there. And I can just kind of, mm-hmm. I get a text message. I was like, I don't want to look at that right now. I'll come back in 10 or right. 15 minutes. You know, I'm fine with that. But other people, well, well, well. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I didn't take my phone to the bathroom. I'm sorry. So leave leave me alone. Get off my lawn digitally. So, um, you know, it, it's just like it is a new distraction that we as a society have not demonstrated that we are the masters of it. It has mastered us. And until we become the masters of it, there is a problem. Is it a long-term problem that will exist for humanity forever? The possibility exists. Or will we master it in, uh, I, I, you know, will we master it as a society? We haven't yet. So it is a problem now. One of the rules at my house is we don't answer the phone including texts, emails, anything during dinner. Um, right. So there, I noticed when my kids were still fairly young, we'd be sitting around the dinner table, which is something that I still find important. We're not always at the dinner table because our dinner table is more a craft table than it is a dinner table, but we eat dinner together. Sometimes it's in the living room. Sometimes it's in the kitchen. Sometimes it's in the dining room, but we, it's important that we eat together. And, and I don't like, piecemeal. I ate 10 minutes ago. I'm going to go ahead and eat now. I'll eat later. Uh, I try not to do that because I think it's important to have some time as a family. But what I noticed early on was the phone would ring and somebody would jump up and run to it. Kids love to answer the phone. That that hasn't um, uh, ended. And I also knew that in my particular situation, the only people that ever called me, particularly the home phone, were bill collectors. Um, so I just set a rule. We don't answer the phone during dinner. We do answer the door. Right. If you have knocked on my door, I, I'm not going to make you stand out there and wonder what's going on. I will answer the door, but I, we don't answer the phone. We don't make phone calls. If something comes up uh, is, and somebody says, you know, I wonder, we don't, I don't grab the phone um, and look stuff up. None of that. Uh, dinner is a, is, is for the people who are at the dinner table. But I also understand that I am in the minority in that. And my children who are being raised with that ethic are going to be surrounded by people who aren't. And I suspect, I suspect that they won't hold on to that ethic when they, when they have children of their own, because they will be the one salmon swimming upstream. Well, yeah. Or they may, or they may. You go ahead, Seth. You know, if you take the time to go visit somebody physically, you know, Hey, let's meet for lunch. Hey, let's go do a movie. Whatever the activity, whether it's their place, they come to you, or you meet together, you are sidetracked because the other person is anybody who Facebook message, you know, their phone. It's just like because they're and they're constantly going, oh, oh, oh. And so why bother to go and hang out with anyone when you're not hanging out with them? They're hanging out with their phone in the same geographic vicinity that you are. And there's a problem with that, that society has demonstrated exists amply. Chris, you were going to say, well, I was going to say, you know, that may actually, you, what you're instilling in your children may end up holding up and f- passing along for the same fact that in my house, we had the same rule, you know, unless it was blood or fire, the phone stayed on the hook um, it, because we had the answer machine close enough that we could hear it. And of course, if somebody called up and there was blood or fire in the background, we would answer it. Um, and also with, uh, you know, you had to deal with on call for a little bit of your time with your last job and the current job. Um, 
my household when I was young, that's all my dad had. He lived on call. Um, as an engineer for BN, it, when the phone rings, you answer it or else you're fired. So um, even now, in the middle of the night, if someone calls my house, because that was so ingrained in my subconscious growing up, I'll wake up to a phone call. doesn't matter whose phone it is. If a phone rings and it's a traditional phone ring, I'm awake and I can't go to sleep. So that may, you know, something as simple as no phones at the dinner table may hold hold through to your kids' kids. I just think it's a, I've, I've, I think I've said it on this uh, podcast before. I have come to believe that calling somebody is one of the most arrogant things you can do. And the same is true, uh, less true for texting and email because calling is a, is a synchronous communication mode. And you're saying that my need to talk to you is more important than whatever you're doing right now. I, I don't, I don't care what you're doing right now. I'm going to call you because my need to speak to you is more important than whatever you're doing. A text is much less intrusive. They'll check it when they get it, whenever they get around to it. They'll reply to it whenever they get around to it. Uh, and so I find those sort of asynchronous communications much more respective of the other person's time. Now, I don't get mad when somebody calls me, but I have, and I didn't, haven't always believed that. It's only in the last couple of years as I've gotten older and, and been yelling at kids to get off my lawn. Uh, I have, have developed that mindset of, of calling is actually a pretty rude thing to do. Um, and certainly knocking on my door is even ruder still. I'm looking at you, Jehovah's Witness. Um, if you <laughs> if you come to my house unannounced for no reason and there wasn't anything planned, you have just decided that your agenda is more important than my entire family's agenda. Now, if you're a friend, Seth, you could come. You, obviously, you 800 miles away. That's not going to happen. But before uh, that, you knew that you didn't even have to knock. You could just walk into my house because you're at that point. You are part of my life. Right. Um, and and what people I have that relationship with, that's fine. But if you are a, a college kid selling books and you ring my doorbell, you have decided that whatever I'm doing is less important than the commission you're going to make off of those encyclopedias. Um, and I, I've, I've just seen the, the coarsening of, of the culture. The We no longer think about the other people. People are listening to this right now saying, huh, I've never thought of that. I don't think you're a bad person because of that. I think our society is changing in, in immutable ways because you never thought that calling somebody is an arrogant thing to do. We, we haven't been taught that. Now, in early days um, of telephone communication, when it was so novel, everybody wanted to talk on the phone. It was exciting to get a call. Right. But, you know, we have these business cards that used to be called calling cards. The whole purpose yep. of those was you would give it to the servant who answered the door so that they could announce who is there. And the person at the, uh, in the residence could decide whether or not they wanted to talk to you. In our modern culture, you it's com it's the height of rudeness to turn somebody away who comes to your door. Therefore, it, it is the ultimate usurpation of power to come to somebody's door. OK, I'll tell you to go get bent. <laughs> <laughs> the flip side of that is maybe we've become more selfish because we're focused everything on the phone and we used to have the common courtesy and social interaction where we would be pleasant to someone. Now it's like you're interrupting my time with my electronic master. Leave me the bleep alone. Well, that's a good point. So, yeah. you know, has you become more tuned with your phone and your Netflix and not having to go out of the house for anything you don't, you know, you can't get primed to you in two minutes. Now, anybody that intrudes on your world 
isn't social interaction, it's become a chore to deal with. But I still like people. Um, so I haven't become antisocial. It's, it's just that I've become, the concept of respect has become more important to me right. as I've gotten older. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I think that's just a natural uh, by, byproduct of maturation. As I'm maturing, I'm understanding that, um, you know, what is, what is saying please? Please is not just a perfunctory thing that you do because society demands it. It is showing somebody that you genuine, genuinely care about them, that you respect them. Um, and again, as I've tried to teach my children, um, why that thing you just did is wrong, I have to, I've, I've never known, right? Why is it wrong to interrupt uh, adults when they're talking? I've just been told it was. And so I, I've had to, I've got inquisitive kids who are smarter than I am. And when I say you don't interrupt people when they're talking, they say, why? Um, let me get back to you on that because society says so. Well, the reality is you, you have decided that you're more important than whatever they're doing. And, and anytime you elevate yourself among someone else, sometimes it's appropriate, but you have to make those decisions appropriately. You have to decide whether at this moment I really am important, more important than whatever they're doing. And sometimes the answer is yes. If my child is sick or hurting, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. They they have the right and the responsibility to interrupt mm-hmm. that. But if they just want to tell me about this, the 17th commercial they saw today for something they want, that's not an appropriate time to decide you're more important than I am. And I just, I, I, I wonder if we're teaching that at all in this world of, of, you know, there's no QOS on human interactions. We can't, it would be nice if we could do that, but the phone is an open portal. And it sends and receives without regard to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I have things on my phone where I love the new uh, lollipop function uh, in Android where you can set priority. And to, f- to say this person gets priority, this person doesn't, it gives some, gives me some of that control with, that has been taken away from me by technology. Where's that at? Where's that at? Um, <laughs> change the, just push the volume button once. And you'll see uh, uh, below the the little volume indicator a list of priorities, and you can set it to all, none, uh, or priority. And then you can identify people in your contacts as priority. Hmm. Mine doesn't have this. That. Is going. This is an interesting show. <laughs> when we're jumping from here into a conversation with Alex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and because of that, I'm definitely not going to go any farther. Uh, but this was, yeah, I totally lost sight of the fact that we had an interview and just got, got on this, this rant. Um, I told him right. when I first called rant. him up, I said, ranting is what I do. That's sort of, sort of the thing that I'm known for. Um, uh, but I, I would, I would, I am interested to know what, what our audience thinks about the concept of respect and privacy. So yeah, I want to hear some I want to hear some viewer comments on this. So definitely viewers and listeners, send us some feedback. What do you think about what, everything we've just talked about? Are we off base? Are we off a rocker? Or are we about right? And nobody ever thinks I'm right. I'm trying, okay, and Mark. so without further ado, <laughs> uh Alex has been waiting in the wings low this hour, uh just waiting to speak to us. Uh so let's uh pitch it over to Alex Klein, the uh co-founder, chief product officer and all-around good guy of the Kano project. Hi Alex, welcome to the show. Hi guys, thanks so much for having me. So uh, oh, it's our pleasure. Yeah, uh, we, thank you for uh Alex is in uh the the 
grand old United Kingdom, uh, which is about... Uh, depending on which one of us is talking anywhere from six to eight hours off i think uh, from Mm -hmm. us so alex is staying up late past his bedtime to be with us tonight we appreciate that alex totally worth it guys totally worth it merry old england is uh is quiet but uh happy to talk to you tonight so let's just alex you're doing company business so you should be able to go in late tomorrow there you go yeah yeah that's true that's true i wonder how late i can swing it though uh, just, just tell them those weird Americans kept you up all night long. <laughs> <laughs> Always blame the Americans. It's a great, uh, great fallback. Strategy. It works for most of the world most of the time. <laughs> yeah, and everyone blames me anyway. So you might as well join the boat. So, so let's not waste your time. I, again, I want to keep you. We we got a late start, and, and it is late for you. So let's just jump right into things. First things first. What the heck is a Kano? Sure. So, um, Kano, Kano, Kano. It's an open source name. Say it however you want. How do you what, say it? I, I mean, I say Kano. Oh, and Kano what, it is. And, but, but it's totally up to you guys because, and you'll understand when I describe to you the spirit, Kano is a computer that you build and code yourself a bit like Lego. It's $150. It comes as a kit with the Raspberry Pi at the core. Um, and it was inspired by a challenge from my six-year-old cousin, Mika, who, uh, who told us that he wanted to build his own computer and code it himself, but he, but he didn't want anyone to teach him how to do it. It had to be as simple and fun as Lego. So the kit, uh, you know, after a couple years of crazed experimentation with open source, uh, apps, code, you know, music, music code engines, uh, Minecraft hacks to the API, uh, came to life, uh, in a Kickstarter campaign of, in November of 2013. Uh, we hoped to raise a hundred thousand dollars, make a thousand kits. We ended up raising 15 times as much. And now there are 40,000 kids of all ages in over 86 countries, um, building the Raspberry Pi based system with us, uh, and making amazing things, games, music, apps, uh, and doing it all, uh, on the first computer that they can actually build and, and look inside of, uh, rather than just, you know, swipe across the sealed screen and fling an angry bird around. So we're, we're at the beginning of our journey, but, uh, Kano is trying to do something a bit different with the modern PC. So that's interesting to me because I'm I'm an old guy. I come from the days when the only way you got a computer was to build it. Exactly. And so yeah. we've we we lost that and now you're trying to regain that. So tell me what comes in the kit if I buy a sure. Cano kit. Sure, yeah. So it's uh it's a complete kit and caboodle, the whole end-to-end experience that you'll need, you know, whether you're a 7-year-old or an 81-year-old to to make a simple computer, power it up and start playing around with code. So you slide it out of the bright orange sleeve, and the first thing you're actually going to see are two simple storybooks, which are kind of like, they're, they're kind of like manuals, but the, but manuals I always found kind of boring. So they're more like comic books. Page by page, step by step, they teach you how to plug in some simple pieces and the, and the concepts that that stand behind them. So you're, you're sliding together some plug pieces. Uh, it's a, basically a USB power adapter. There's a Raspberry Pi, uh, right, you know, that the kind of brain. You'll protect it with a case. You'll add a, a lovely little DIY speaker that plugs into the Pi's GPIO pins and pulls power from them. You'll add a little Wi-Fi power-up. Um, you can customize the case with stickers as well as case cards and decals. There's an HDMI cable so you can connect the kits to a, to a screen at home. Um, basically everything you need to go from a, 
a sort of naked box of you know boards and and bits, uh, which is quite intimidating for uh, for a beginner to to a to a PC, something you can build yourself. And of course, um, the jewel in the crown is is an SD card that comes preloaded with Cano OS, which is our distribution of Debian, um, which is you know it's one of the fastest and, and best performing uh, distros on the Pi, uh, according to independent benchmarking. Um, and it's just a heck of a lot of fun. It's like a really simple. Uh, almost mobile and console gaming inspired interface, uh, and it's the perfect introduction for to, to any kind of young developer uh, to the magic of the Pi platform at large. What, yeah, it seems to be a really cool project. Um, besides the fact that it runs Debian, is there? Did you try any of the other distros, or did you just pick Debian as your de facto? I think um, uh, you know the, the Debian project had a, had a lot to recommend it. I mean, you know, fifty thousand apps on there, and a lot of them work really well on the Pi. And you know, we built our own sort of little app store on on Cano World, which is our online platform. Anything you know, you can get Wolfram and do cool mathematical visualizations, make fractals, and get LibreOffice, do spreadsheets. You can get you know, little simple installer for you know RasBMC. Um, it was the most mature platform, I think. And what we've tried to do is is really kind of simplified and make a cool, creative experience for, for people who are just either getting started with technology or, you know, they're just curious about what the new world of single board computing has to offer. So, you know, on Cano OS, you can make games like Pong and Snake, and we, we walk you through it in a, in a really simple, nice, visual kind of jigsaw block style coding arena we call Cano Blocks. Um, you can make music and beats, you can make artwork, and of course you can, and it's what the kids love, you can hack into the Minecraft API and make mods with just a, with just a flourish of a jigsaw code block, you make a castle, make a lake, make a rocket ship. So it's kind of like, you know, I think uh, you guys mentioned there's something sort of nostalgic about this. Um, I know, you know, when a lot of us were kids, we loved Lego or we loved director sets or Heath kits. And, you know, part of the, the fun of being a kid and what, why a lot of, a lot of kids today are interested in computing in general is taking things apart, putting them back together, looking inside, you know, the, the kind of making stuff, learning about stuff and playing with stuff is all kind of intermingled when you're a kid. The problem is we, we give all of our kids today these sort of flat, hermetically sealed, perfect sapphire screens um, and we only teach them how to consume things that others have made rather than giving them the tools they need to create stuff that reflects their own personalities and what, what they want to see out of the world around them. So Cano is a little bit of a we're trying to turn back the clock a bit, make make it kind of simple and fun and human for a young person or just someone who has kind of a kid's heart, which I guess we all do, hopefully, um, to to look inside of technology and start taking control again. That those are subversive words there to take control back uh, and to to get uh, get out of the mainstream. So you're a rebel, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I guess I remember the first the first video we ever did um, as Cano. We we actually, and this is an invoice I'll never forget. We 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 hired a trained monkey, a rhesus macaque, uh, performing <laughs> monkey. Um, her name was uh, Lily, and we we put her in a room with a with a MacBook with a MacBook Air, and we just kind of saw what what happened. And invariably, you know, after kind of 
putting it in front of her. She she starts trying to open it up, you know. She starts kind of trying to get at the hinges, the screws, you know, these funny Apple screws where they, you know, the only screwdriver that can uh, can 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 activate them is an Apple screwdriver. She she's trying to fiddle with it. She's turning it up and down. Eventually, she just pushes the MacBook off the table and it and it and it breaks on the floor and. I don't know, you know, we're not necessarily saying go out and destroy your MacBooks, but, but I think what we are saying is, you know, in this day and age when, when open source development is, you know, it can compete on both usability and performance with, with, with the closed guys in an age where computing is becoming a commodity like oil or corn. It's so abundant. It's so cheap. Just look at the Raspberry Pi itself. We need to give you know, really young people, but also anyone who's curious, a much more simple and fun way to to kind of hack hack around. Because I think you know, you guys are Linux guys. You you this may be subversive as well, but I think you you may agree. For all the power and fun of the the Linux community, the open source community, it's not always accessible to people who are outside people people who may never have been lucky enough to to get introduced by a by a warm adult or to to kind of end up on the right you know geeky forum when they were a kid. So I think you know for all the power that the, that the open source community has um, and it continues to you know go leaps and bounds, especially in in the mobile age, um, I think we can do do more to make it more simple, more fun, and you know Cano is a way of kind of onboarding that first experience of open source of making it making it feel like a game, making it feel like Lego. So you buy the kit, and all yeah. you need is a display and a power adapter. Everything else is in the box, right? Uh, just the display. You got the power adapter right well, there. I mean, the power the outlet is what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. You just need to. You need a source of, of electricity right. for now. Yeah. <laughs> you can't supply that in the box? Come on. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little hydroelectric dam would, would be our next project. Although we uh, we have been investigating solar. I mean, you know, we we consider we consider this first kit now. You know, Cano Cano one, one hundred forty nine dollars. Make a computer, right? You know, make your own computer. Uh, learn about the core ideas that make computers work, and then use them to 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 make cool stuff, to make games, to 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 beat your friends, to 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 show off. But in the future, level two could be you know make a radio, and we've actually seen some kids hacking about with kind of making radios now. Level three could be make a make a solar array. Level four make a three D printer. Level four, five make a robot. You know we're we're trying to build hopefully a system of these kits extensions and and apply them backwards to the core product to create sort of the first computer company where the the creative capacity of the user is in the front seat and and where our users will always surprise us with new things that they can come up with using our 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 kind of our sort of core core components and stories and you said you built this at the request of a six-year-old so is that the age range it's sort of aimed at I, I would say the sweet spot the sweet spot is between ages kind of six and fourteen. Um, so if you have a curious young person in your life, it's a really great way, you know, at one hundred fifty bucks uh, to introduce them to, to technology to make them feel that technology is something they can play with and control and understand. But you know, the the origin story with with Mika, my cousin, he was six. It was kind of an it was a it was a strange meeting of of minds. The what precipitated it all is, is I used to be a, a technology reporter, actually, a, a journalist, so very simple, um, uh, for, uh, for, for Newsweek Daily Beast. And it was there that I first found out, um, actually, I got a tip off from my cousin about the Raspberry Pi. 
um, you know, I'd never, I'd never really heard. This was, you know, two and a half years ago. It hadn't really hit the mainstream yet. Um, and I went to go. Uh, I was, I was doing my my grad degree at, at Cambridge in the UK, and it happened to be the case that that's where, you know, the founder of Raspberry Pi, Evan Upton, you know, that's where he calls home. Amazingly cool guy, such a boffin. Um, and I figured I'd go interview him for a Newsweek story. Uh, I went to go interview him, and he he kind of was regaling me with the amazing sort of first year of, of Raspberry Pi and how you know it was invented, I ostensibly to to get you know a couple thousand Cambridge computer science students uh, more excited about their course. All of a sudden, they you know they put the idea online, you know, a thirty five dollar Linux GNU board, um, and suddenly they had hundreds of thousands of pre orders, and and Evan was kind of you know, obviously flush with that amazing technological success. And, and I remember in the conversation, he was saying, well, you know, we're, we're selling a lot of these Raspberry Pi boards. Um, and it's an incredible pickup. But what we're noticing is the majority of the people using it in now are, are kind of hackers, hobbyists, pros, developers, people, you know, people listening to this podcast now. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's incredible. Like the, to, to give this, like, budding maker movement a tool like the raspberry pi that can be used you can shoot it into space and have it take pictures on the descent you can send it under the water to power an autonomous submarine you can make a media center but despite all this kids were having trouble getting started they found it a little bit too complicated so trying to pick at this question i I took the raspberry pi showed it to my little cousin mika who was six I was similarly trying to get him pumped about all these cool, hackery, geeky sort of implementations we could do. We could make a Beowulf cluster. We could make a supercomputer. We could, we could make a server. And, and his response was very simple. I just want to make a computer because to him, a computer is, is an iPad or a tablet or a phone. You know, he sees the Raspberry Pi. He says, I want to transform this into a computer, but I don't want anyone to teach me. I want it to be so simple. Like Lego was, was simple for me and then it was like oh wait why is there no lego for open source computing and that that was sort of where the, the kind of cano kit came from at the very beginning yeah it, it sounds from everything i've been seeing and everything you're talking about uh i actually i'm gonna probably end up buying these for my kids for birthdays and christmas because um my daughter who is six this year she uh she is one of those people who likes to take things apart yeah. And put things back together. So I think this would be great for her and my son who, um, he actually, with the aid of my knowledge, built his machine way back when. And now yeah. he's looking at a way of building something, but he wants to make a Minecraft server. So I was like, I see Minecraft in here and I'm like, Oh, this would be perfect for him because he could sit downstairs and he'd be right on top of his Minecraft server and doing everything he wants to do in Minecraft right there. So yeah. I mean, Very that's, cool. That the, there's something about Minecraft as well. It's it's it, we. It's definitely one of the most popular aspects of our system now. We we give you kind of Minecraft creative mode on Cano, but instead of just giving a, a kid like your son, you know, the chance to play Minecraft, they can actually make structures in the in the Minecraft game world using code. So they drag and drop these simple Cano blocks, which are kind of visual jigsaw blocks. The, those blocks output real code, real workable code in JavaScript or Python, and then that code gets pumped into the Minecraft API. So, you know, your son could be playing on a Cano Minecraft server. More, even more, your, your son could actually build and host a Minecraft server on the Raspberry Pi himself, mm-hmm. 
And then in that game world, not just play Minecraft, but also, you know, do make a one-click castle and, and a moat and a ramp into it and, and then destroy it with a volcano, all with, you know, just 20 to 25 lines of code. Um, so I think, you know, kids today, like, they're hungering for this sort of, they're hungering for this sort of creative uh, feedback loop with one another. Like, just look at Minecraft. That's a perfect example. If we can get kids excited about programming and about computing through those 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 mechanisms, through those kind of interactions with one another, you know, uh, we're going to create a whole generation of super children. Although I'm sure your kids are are already are already super children, but uh, but <laughs> even even more super children. Well, what 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 which really makes me happy is. It, you know, you were just saying how you have the building blocks that export the, the correct code in Python or Perl or Minecraft code, whatever. I don't remember exactly what they run on, but this is something that I think once I got him into it, he would be all over it because he has the imagination that just does never stops. So to yeah. the ability to give him something where he could start creating with the, the, the WYSIWYG and then get down and dirty and know exactly how to to tweak the code, this is something that I'm really looking forward to possibly doing. No, there's no possible. This is something I'm really looking forward to for him. That's great. Well, I, I guess I've converted one one customer there. That's good. <laughs> Already, yes. So, Seth, you, you've had a kit for a while. Uh, what has your experience been with it? You know, I, with my teaser internet at home, every time I try to go to the uh, Cano world, I just get like this whirling circle. So I'm never able to connect. The kit itself, it looks great. It's really put together. Um, I get in and play with it some a little bit. But like I say, every time I try to go online and, and join in the community fund, because that, to me, I'm really looking forward to see that every time I go there. And I don't know if it's like a UK-US thing, but um, Alex, my, my bandwidth at home can best be described as challenged. And um, so I'm really, I haven't been able to experience the community yet. So I really, I love the kit itself, but I haven't got into everything that's available online. So, yeah, yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, that, that, that online world is, um, it's, it is in many ways kind of the, the heart and soul of, of the Cano project so far. I mean, we, we shipped the, we shipped the first 20,000 kits in October, just, you know, just a few months ago, last October. And since then, you know, on that, on that Cano world platform, ki- kids in over 86 countries, they've created and shared over 5 million lines of code. And I mean, that's, these are beginners, you know, these are kids who might never even, you know, encounter, they'd never encounter an if then, they'd never encounter, you know, control structures they would never run into this stuff because it's not taught in school um it's a shame though um it's a shame though that you can't access world if you want to check it out you can when you if you're somewhere where you have a slightly faster internet connection and this is for anyone listening as well you can just visit world.cano.me and you can see all the kids creations from like drawings to, to pong games to, to snake themes um and by the way you know you don't have to you don't have to order a, a cano kit if you don't want uh if you want to try out cano os of course we prefer if you got the full kit but you know cano os is free and open source you can get it um you can download it and uh, burn it to an sd card and get it on your pi in a matter of minutes just by visiting cano.me slash downloads so you can get the distro there um and hopefully have a play 
So because I'm already, uh, because I'm an early adopter, I already have a couple of pies laying around. Uh, you know, I try, I bought one, I tried this, I upgraded it. So if I'm going to buy or use my own pie, am I a, am I a second class citizen in your world? Uh, or is it just once I load the OS and connect, I'm just like everybody else? No, yeah, you're you're a uh, you're a you're a first class gent. You are someone we will give much love, respect, appreciation, and and most importantly, support to. Especially if you want to develop for the platform. Um, so if if you do go to Canada.me slash downloads, download our OS and burn it to a pie. Even if we didn't sell you that pie. Um, we're happy to have you as part of the community. We'd love to have you contribute on our GitHub, of course. Um, our wikis in each of our repos are very well documented for anyone from, from beginners to pro developers to, to start contributing. We also have a really fast response. You know, us here at Team Cano, you can tweet us at Team Cano, um, and we will help you contribute. Uh, we want to review view any pull request as quickly as possible and then merge upstream as soon as it's ready. Um, the, the whole idea of the Cano project is, you know, make it easy for anyone to, to, to play together, to make technology together, not just to use technology, but to, to enjoy it. And tons of people in the Pi community, uh, even those who, who haven't necessarily bought our kit, um, have, have contributed to the system so far. They've built, they've built ways of uh, translating strings in the OS so they can localize the language into German. They've built ways to customize, you know, cool snake boards so you can make the game snake even cooler. Um, there's, uh, there's really no barrier to, to, to getting, to getting on board. And, and also another side benefit of Cano OS, especially the version that we just pushed, uh, version 1.3.4, is it's, uh, it's ready for Raspberry Pi 2 right out of the box. It's, um, it's, it's uh it's an OS we're very proud of. Independent testing from uh from a firm known as A1QA uh has us as actually the fastest and best performing distro on the Pi in general. Um we've got a great tool set uh for building reliable images, a feedback widget in the OS, um, which is a way for any Raspberry Pi based system to solicit feedback and ideas from users. There's a cool YouTube video app. Uh, a simple screenshot tool. Um, the whole system has been designed and uh, to be, you know, have all the power of, of Raspbian, which is, you know, an incredible distro on the Pi already, Debian base, but with the sort of simplicity and intuitiveness that, that, you know, anyone who's building maybe a consumer facing project or, or just wants to have a media center or a browser or front end, um, for anyone of that nature to, to feel comfortable. So, you know, Yahoo News, for instance, actually said Canon OS was, the most intuitive version of Linux they'd ever seen. And that's very high praise because I don't think, I don't know if I would necessarily say that, but it's it, for the Raspberry Pi, I would say it is the best distro you can get, Cano OS. And it's free, cano.me slash downloads. Very cool. Yeah. You, you know, Alex, all of us at one point, we worked in the education system here in America. Is there any, I know Cano is kind of a, a hands on learn, but are there any, Maybe courses isn't the right word, but are any of your apps set up in a course-like structure where it's, you know, you can create anything you want, but if you want to learn a specific thing, here's a course to go through and learn how to code a particular language or something like that. 
Yeah, so I mean, Kano kind of Kano feels like a toy, but it but it acts like a teacher. The entire experience, you know, from your first your first experimentation with Python to the first time you build a full Python script to control an app like Minecraft to when you actually build a, a full program, um, you, your hand is is held each step of the way through this, you know, very very intuitive gamified interface. So you know, you turn on your computer. Um, and you have a choice of projects, Minecraft, Pong, Snake, Music, Web, and each one has its own learning journey inside. And as you, as you beat challenges, you know, they're called challenges in the OS, you, you actually, you unlock, you unlock badges, you unlock avatars, but you also gain XP and level up. And as you level up, you, you get more ways to customize your character, you get more ways to share. Um, that's sort of in the system itself. Uh, from the perspective of the classroom, we also have a whole set of, of curriculum and pedagogical resources that surround the kit. So that's everything from, you know, how to use the kit to keep, to teach core principles of, of the internet and connectivity and packet switching to, you know, how the kit can be best deliver, uh, on, uh, on kind of like out, out algorithmic uh, lessons lessons that teach problem solving you know we use we use a recipe analogy here um we've actually uh, w- one of the reasons why i think we were able to 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 sell quite a few units uh, in our first year was because the launch of cano has coincided with um many countries starting to bring computer science into their national curricula i mean here in the uk uh starting this year um, the national curriculum now has uh, actually algorithms and uh, computational thinking embedded in the curriculum from age six and above. So it's a it's a big opportunity for for us to give the new generation a chance to not just you know not just to teach them how to use Microsoft Word or use Microsoft Excel, but to teach them about the the fundamental ideas that make computing work. And we've teamed up with with Pearson here in the UK. To help deliver this new curriculum, because one thing we know for sure is that uh, unless we teach computing in a fun way, we're going to lose a, another generation of kids. I was right there with you, Alex. You used the word pedagogical, and that was like plus ten points. And then you used the <laughs> word Pearson, and that was minus five hundred points. Oh yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, is there in ter- so if I buy my kid a Cano? Um, which mm-hmm. I will do after this discussion. Um, is it useful as a general purpose PC? Can I get on the web? Uh, I, I, my experience with web browsing on my own Pi has been pretty miserable. Have you guys, have you got a reasonable web browser in there? Is it flash enabled? Can it, can it, can it do, can we do homework on this device? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, you've got a, you've definitely got a mo- kind of, what's the word? Um, You've got to have reasonable expectations for for a you know a hundred fifty dollar computer that that you, is based on the Raspberry Pi and that you that you build yourself. So I'm an American, you know, Alex. Reasonable is not in my vocabulary. I'm born to yeah. be unreasonable. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. I mean, here's the thing. I, when I when I you know first started playing with the Raspberry Pi one two years ago, um, it, I was I was immediately struck with the sense that. You know, this was a board that could do some things really, really well, um, and some things. You know, it definitely showed that that it's 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 a it's an affordable platform. So, if you're doing uh, kind of let's say spreadsheet processing or doing text documents or, for that matter, doing 3D gaming or streaming high definition video, um, the Cano and the Raspberry Pi are excellent choices. Um, 
the the area where I think you know there's most room for improvement is probably the the web browsing experience. But we've actually done a lot um, on the kit as it, as it is today to uh, to make it feel more fluid, more responsive, and you know we keep improving every day. I think uh, a lot of parents, by the way, actually have have some concerns about about giving their kids unlimited access to web browsing. Um, no, but, I was actually uh, going to consider that a plus. If they couldn't get on the web, that's actually good. Um, which which leads to an additional question: Is your Cano community, your Cano world, is it moderated? It is moderated. Yeah, it's a, it's a really fun, safe place to kind of code, create, ask questions together. Uh, um, we, I should also note if there are any parents listening um, on your on your last very good point. Uh, Cano has this cool uh, parental filter that is, uh, it's not just like off or on, there's different levels of protection. So you can turn it all the way off and let, and if it's just going to be a home PC, which, it, you know, Cano works really well at $150 as a sort of cheap, you know, TV connected home PC, it's a lot better than getting like an Apple TV, that's for sure. Um, but um, you can also turn up, up the parental filter to a sort of medium level where it's going to block inappropriate content, which we don't you know, have to get into on this family-friendly podcast. But and there's also an all-the-way up setting, which will turn off the whole internet except for Cano World and, and a, kind of Cano cool. domains. Yeah. Very cool. Well, guys, we promised we would keep Alex for about a half an hour. We're at 29 minutes right now. So are there any uh, final questions or thoughts that, that either of you had before we wrap things up? Uh, I had a quick one. Um, I know that you're based on the Raspberry Pi. Now, is there plans on coming out with the, on the Pi 2 or, well, he just or the said that banana? It, that is, it does work for the Pi 2. Uh, well, right, but it, it, but he's the, the kits are Pi, or the original Pi's. Oh, I gotcha. mean, are you planning on giving you any or giving any option for moving to like the Pi Two or the Banana Pi or any of the other Pi based um, unicard systems? So I, it's a great question. I mean, as 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 you noted, the uh, like Cano OS, which which is the our sort our software world um, works on the Pi Two now. So if you go to Cano.me slash downloads. We'd love for you to check it out. We'd love for you to contribute. Um, it's a really simple, fun way to get started with the Pi and to get your kids uh, kind of interested in technology. Um, when it comes to including the Pi 2 in the kits them- themselves, it's something we're definitely researching. It's definitely on the agenda. Um, and you guys will be, uh, you'll be the first to know, uh, if, or among the first to know, uh, if and when we do, we do make that transition. Anyone listening, um, the, uh, any any updates to our product, and we're making cool new stuff every day. They get announced first uh, uh, on our website, which is cano.me, uh, or on our Twitter, which is at Team Cano. Um, but uh, stay tuned, I guess. Stay tuned. Seth, sure. you had something to say? Well, no, my question was going to be very similar. It's like, is there anything to different? Like, okay, the kit comes with a Pi. You said the Cano OS is now good for Pi. Is there anything like? I've got a Pi, so I won't be able to do that. I'll need a Pi 2. Um, or is it pretty much you can do it on a Pi, it just might take a little longer to work? Yeah, I, th- I think it, I think it's, I think it's kind of, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's as you've described it. I mean, the, the, the Pi 2, of course, offers some, some really, really exciting improvements. I mean, it's got a six times performance increase. Um, and, you know, we, we are trying to bring a lot of polish and simplicity to the, to the new platform as well. Um, you know, 
I think it, it kind of harkens back to to what we were discussing at the beginning of the the the, the chat today, which is you know the pie is kind of the first genie out of the bottle like it's the first single board computer at this price point to really make a dent in the mainstream and you know that kind of harkens back to the early 80s when there were other sort of you know there was another big leap forward on you know price point per calculations per second and you saw these new boards come out like the intel 8080 and those started out in the in the sort of hacker and hobbyist community um, but then, you know, at the Homebrew Computer Club in California, they started, they started making them, you know, more, more palatable, more, better design, bundling all the stuff in one pack. Um, and I think we're at, at that kind of inflection point now. You mentioned Banana Pie, which is another sort of single board computer that has sort of spun out more of a, more of an imitator. But there, there are others like the Beagle board, the QB board, uh, the Udo, the, the Odroid. Computing is becoming a commodity and, and, when it gets this cheap and this good, uh, it's really important that we make it simple and fun and friendly for a new generation of kids who actually want to experiment and, and play and create, not just swipe across that, that screen we mentioned. So that's the Cano project. We're going to try and bring it to as, as many types of these new single board computing experiences as possible. Um, and the Cano kit today, it's a good introduction, but uh, we're always making improvements. So please do join us. And guys, um, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a cool discussion. Right, I did have, have one you. other question, um, and go for it. And first, I want to preface this because it's going to sound like a jerk question, but it's not. Um, in in our experience, the the best open source product projects and products, the ones that you can most reliably uh, depend on for long term, are the ones that are financially solvent. Are you making money on this? Yeah, we have. Uh, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, we have a very, uh, we have a very newfangled and exotic business model, which is we, uh, we make a product, a physical product, and we, we sell it for, for more than it costs us to make it. Um, so well, that may be in groundbreaking. The wor- I'm not sure anybody's ever done that before. <laughs> yeah. Let Richard um, Stallman hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so look, I mean, this isn't, this, you know, we didn't set out to do this, obviously, you know, to make a heck of a lot of money, but, um, what we found is there's been a massive response in the fir- in the first, you know, just 18 to 24 months, uh, to this idea, to this idea of a computer company that, that you build yourself, a computer kit that is simple and fun for all ages all over the world. You know, of course, we're not making, we're not making Snapchat margins, um, which, well, I guess they don't have any margins, but, um, <laughs> we, uh, we're, 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 uh, we're building something for the long term and um it's really heartening to see that you know people in in so many different countries people of so many different ages kids kids of aged 8 you know 16 year old girls in Kosovo 45 year old uh, you know veterans of operation desert storm you know just 81 year old grandparents i i think if you build something that is is kind of human at the core, and you do it with technology that is fresh and powerful like the Pi, um, as we're trying to do, uh, hopefully the business side will, will take care of itself. And I think uh, there are other companies that have demonstrated that that open source open source development can be a big money maker too. Companies like like Red Hat, of course, where we've actually hired engineers from there. Um, I think it's it's now probably easier than it's ever been in the past for for people who are developing open tools for the creative majority to to get ahead and and do well while doing good 
Good. I, I know that sometimes that's a sore subject in the open source world. How dare you make a living? Uh, but around here, we consider that a good thing because if you're making money, it means you're going to be around. Uh, and I want yeah. this project to be around. It's a good project. I want to see it grow yep. and see what comes out of it. Yeah, I Thank have no, pro- I, Th- I have no problem paying for good tech, and this looks like good tech, so I like it. Excellent. Well, th- thank you so much, guys. I, I, Kano is like uh, is here for the kids, but also for people like you guys who communicate what open source is to the masses and, and why why it matters, and and do it with a sense of humor and a smile because that's that can actually be rare in the community. Um, but here, I can tell it's strong. So, so thank you, guys. All right, Alex. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for s- staying up late uh, on a on a Sunday night. You got work in the morning, and you uh, you gave up a little sleep for us. We appreciate it, and uh, we hope to to be hearing back from you and uh, and let us know when you've got a new announcement. We'll we'll be happy to bring you back. Awesome, guys. Be well. And that was our interview with Alex Klein. I think I'm excited about the Kano project. Actually, while he was talking, I opened up the store and bought one. Uh, because it's just it's just cool. I I probably could have asked him for a free one, but it didn't occur to me. Yeah, I didn't think I about either. Bought one, uh, but uh, I'm excited about the project. Uh, just as a cool thing to do, right? I, I, like I said uh, before, I have a Pi and I can download the OS, and I probably will. But I kind I kind of want to give my six year old the experience of here's a box. Yep. Figure it out. That's what See I want to do. Both do. my kids. I'm going to buy it's both really of them cool. and do the same thing. It's this orange box. You open it. You, the The keyboard is maybe the neatest thing about it because I mean it, it's a Raspberry Pi. It's a case. You can do some things. But the keyboard that they ship with it is actually pretty cool. So it's a yeah. Really I saw that. I saw that in the pictures, and I was going to ask him about it, but we had such a short time with him. It's a it's a keyboard with an integrated trackpad. Uh, yeah, I was yep. going to ask him if they make them themselves or if they're something that you could buy, you know, from another vendor. Uh, it looks like a Logitech, you know, because I've I've seen a Logitech board that that looks like that for a keyboard, but not that colorful. Yeah, I like that it's colorful and it's bright and it's kid friendly. Um, I I like that what he was talking about. They've they've obviously taken the uh, uh, parental controls in in mind. The three different levels there, awesome. Um, and the fact that uh, you're probably not going to be able to handle YouTube well on it is a plus for me, because um, it's 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 a tool, not a toy. But, but it's it a is tool, a toy. It's a tool that can be fun. I, I, I I'm excited to see what happens, um, and and I'm 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 excited they're making money off of it. I, yeah. I, I didn't. I know that kind of sounded like a jerk thing to say, but um, I, that's a I'm good thing they, to me. I'm glad yeah, they're I'm making glad. money. I am too. I'm really glad because that means they might stick around and maybe make a couple more variations. Like he was saying, the level two project or three or four where it was like make a 3D printer or make a robot or, you know, that those higher level functions. It'd be like, now that would be really, really cool. Especially if you could say, all right, you've already been through level one. You've mastered the Raspberry Pi build thing. If you want to buy level two, you know, it's XYZ dollar. But if you just want to go jump to a different level, it's XYZ plus something. So it, it gives them, you know, um, buy-in for their, their customers to stay, you know, in line with their tracks as they level up. Um, I think that'd be really cool as, as a good business model. I think, you know, I hope it, I hope that they are here, you know, for the long haul. And we now know so that the can. proper English way to say it is Keno. Keno. 
but I like his idea that it's uh, uh, it's open source. He said, "Call it what you want." Uh, yeah. that, potato, that, potato. That orange box. Yeah, thing. I just hear the Mortal Kombat announcer. Finish him. So. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. So now uh, on to uh, we skipped over this week in history, but I think it's very appropriate because Alex was talking about this very thing where he mentioned the 8088 processor. Well, let's go even uh, a little uh, farther ahead than that to the, the first 586 processor. Yes, March the 22nd, 1993, the Intel Corporation ships the first Pentium chips featuring the blazing fast 60 megahertz clock speed, a 100 plus MIPS, and a 64-bit data path rocking the information super dueling expressway. Not quite high, super highway, but... So if if you if you don't know what a MIP is, million instructions per second, uh, now we don't do MIPS anymore. We do BIPs uh, and maybe even TIPS. Um, but uh, the a hundred million operation instructions per second was groundbreaking, and that's why the Pentium name stuck around. In fact, uh, it was just I don't know four years ago, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. You could still buy a Pentium. They yeah. don't really use that anymore. They they went with the I series, uh, but that name, even though it uh, the reason it had um, meaning was it was the five eighty six Pentium, right. um, but the six eighty six, seven eighty six, eight eighty six, nine eighty six, ten eighty six, eleven eighty six, all kept the Pentium name because it it became the chip. It was the thing that everybody had to have or had to to duplicate. I mean, come on, when Weird Al parodies it in the song. It's all about <laughs> That's the right. Pentiums, baby. They're going to, I still love that song. I think it's a great song. Uh, it holds up I well, I think. Yep. Um, I remember programming on an 8088 processor, and, and I don't know, I, I'll have to look that up. I don't know why we went from 8088 to 8086, and it was an improvement, um, but it was. So the original 8086 and then the 8286, there was an 8186. I'm not sure why that happened. So the 8286, that's what people know is the 286, then the 386, the 486, then the Pentium. Um, and these were all, this was Intel. They designed this chip. They they ushered in the modern era, right? So there were other chips. There were Alpha. There were DEC. There was, uh, um, I don't want to say uh, Cyrix or AMD because they were just cloning Intel chips. And the things that, there were other chipsets that were different. But the the Intel chipset, and the reason it was so good is because it's a complex instruction set as opposed to a reduced instruction set, meaning it had code on the chip to do everything you could possibly want to do. Want to do an exponent, exponent? There's a code on the chip to do it in hardware. Want to do floating point division? There's a chip. Uh, there's a code on the chip that'll do that. And that made them super versatile. It also made them much more complicated. Today, most chips are reduced instruction set, ARM, for example, um, wow, I didn't mean to go all history lesson on you there. But this was a, a momentous day, 322.93. Yep. 31 years ago today? Something like that. Uh, 30, 32. I, I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong number. 22. So. 20. 22. 93 to 03 was 10 years to 13 is 20 years. 22 years ago today. Yes. Uh, Ma- I was still math be hard. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you said there'd be no math. Come on now. <laughs> it's I, I know people probably think I'm an idiot anytime we do math on the show. I'm actually quite good at math, 
Um, but doing math while doing a podcast, it's two different parts of the brain. And when I have one engaged, I can't engage the other. Uh, so, Seth, continue on with your slow closing show closing spectacular. What do you have for us this week? I came across this site a while back, and I've been holding it in my bag of links. And it is um, vetusware.com, the biggest free abandonware downloads collection in the universe. Um, and the page looks like it was made in 1993 when the Pentium was popular. Right. And, wow. you know, apparently they lost the software to update it, I guess, or they're waiting for someone to put it on here. But you can just go and see sort see such things as the Norton Commander for Windows, Visual Basic 3.0. There's a lot in there. Fox um, Pro 2.6. <laughs> yes. Um, AutoCAD R13. And clone CD 4.2.0.2. WordStar. I loved WordStar. WordStar rocked, man. 4.0. It was, it was awesome. And so, yeah, if you've got abandoned software that you want to upload, man, create an account here. Join in the fun. Uh, oh, GW Basic. You can have the old, the thing that started me on my career. GW <laughs> Basic. Uh, Gates and I don't remember who the W is. Uh, but the basic compiler, which came on the the TRS eighties, the Vic twenties, the Commodore sixty fours, that it was it was GW Basic that came on those things. Wow. wow! And if if you want to just rock your printer, go get the original Print Shop Deluxe. <laughs> print Shop Deluxe, man, it ruled the roost for a very long time. Yeah, it did. Yes, much longer than in school. anybody ever <laughs> needed. I'm having to Google GW Basic now because it's bothering me. That Greg Witten, an okay. early Microsoft employee. Sorry, found it on Wikipedia, baby. <laughs> so there I, you go. I thought it was Gates and Witten, but it was it was Greg Witten. Um, there are several theories. Apparently, um, Witten refers to it as G Wiz Basic. Sometimes it's called Graphic and Windows or Gates William. William was Microsoft's president at the time, or Gates Witten, the two main designers of the program. So, so I had a uh, uh, my middle school computer science teacher used to call me and another guy Chuck. Um, he she called us Gates and Witten because um, we were her two star students, and so that's how I go. remembered that from because we were doing I I had this program that I wrote on my five and a quarter inch floppy disk um, that when you loaded it up, it auto-exec batted. It loaded this thing up and brought you to a, uh, a prompt asking for a password. And if you typed in the password correctly, it would, it would pull up a thing and it would say, where do you want to go? You can do games, you can do office stuff. And, you know, I could put all sorts of stuff on a, on a 512K, uh, floppy disk. Um, so I had a couple of games on there. I had basic on there. Um, it was all running in basic. And if you got it wrong, like three times in a row, it would say deleting files and it would hide the files, wouldn't delete them. But it would hide them so that anybody snooping around on my stuff would think they had just deleted my disk. And uh, I actually, <laughs> there were actually a couple of times, two different times, that some underclassman uh, came to me with tears in his eyes. I erased your files. I'm sorry. I just wanted to play that cool game I saw you do. And and that was my. Uh, it it made sounds. It made it flashed. It was my magnum opus of seventh grade computer science. Very cool. That's awesome. <laughs> 
my eighth grade magnum opus was writing a database in basic oh yeah, i went there <laughs> writing a data a database in basic that must have been hair pulling yeah i, I didn't know that there was such a thing as a database i didn't know that you know works or any of those things existed and the middle school principal said, I have this list of students here. I have a computer on my desk. I want to be able to put those two together. I want it to be searchable. If I want a kid's, find a kid's phone number, I shouldn't have to pull out my paper and file, flip through everything. And the teacher pointed to me and said, that's your guy. Uh, this is your semester <laughs> project. Do it. Um, and, and what I didn't know is I could have just typed it into a database because she didn't yeah. tell me that because that's what teachers do. They withhold the good stuff. That's and right. So, I wrote a database, uh, <laughs> writing things line by line in an ASCII text file and then reading them in, I think, 40 lines at a time. I could read them and, and had a, a really crude search thing where I could read 40 lines at a time and search for something and then read the next 40 lines and search for it. And then I couldn't pull up the record, but I could take you to the page where the thing that you were looking for was on. And after I'd spent months on this, the teacher said, now that you've done this, let me explain to you what a database is, son. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect for a teacher. So that's what got my start. GW Basic, writing a database. There it is. <laughs> so this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can uh, feed back to us. We've been talking to you for almost two hours now. It's time for you to talk back to us. Elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Uh, leave a comment. Um, let us know what you have to say. Ask your question. Uh, you know, we've talked a couple of things here. We've talked education. We've talked microcomputers. We've talked privacy. We've talked the coarsening of the culture. This stuff you're not going to get on any other Linux podcast, I'll wager. So let us know what you think. Uh, also, if you want to send us an email directly, edl at com, or if you'd like your voice to appear here right alongside mine and Alex's, uh, you could do that by calling 559-IMOP uh, or just send me an email or a Dropbox link or whatever to uh, an audio file, and uh, that'll that'll go that way. We love having the the voicemail feedback whenever we can get it, and the phone number is the easiest way to go about it, 559-IMOP. Um, so that's our show this week. Thank you guys for being the great host. I love the fact that there is no topic too bizarre or esoteric <laughs> or just way off course that you guys won't follow me on. I'll just come up with whatever it is, and you just go with it. I love that. You guys are awesome co-hosts. Thanks we for try. being with us. You, the listener, if you've stuck it out this far, you too are an awesome person. Even <laughs> Dora, I know you listen at 2.5 speed. Even this was a monumental mini-series long podcast. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us that long. Um, we appreciate ratings and reviews on anything you got. And if you've got some money to spend uh, on something, use elementopcom slash Amazon to do it. And if you want to back us, uh, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-A, P-A-T-R-E-O-N is a way that you can uh, sponsor us and have your name known and, and give us a couple of bucks if you want any of those things to happen. But as always, we love having you here and we look forward to seeing you next week because that ends this episode of Everyday Works.